So we're going to pick up in 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to do a little background in a moment, but let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us. As we look at just the maturing of our faith, what does it look like as we grow in our relationship with you? Lord, no matter where we are spiritually, we all could grow more. We all could know you better. We all could become more like you. Lord, we want to know you better because to know you better is to love you more. So minister to every heart. I pray for anybody who's new here today. They feel welcomed and loved. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. We do have some other flaps we're going to bring, I think, because I know it's getting a little windy in here. But if you sit up on the front, there's no wind, so I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. All right. So 2 Peter, we, we began 2 Peter a few weeks back, and then we took a couple weeks off looking at Easter. So 1 Peter... The words were of encouragement were in the midst of outward persecution. The Christians, uh, many people had been gotten saved. The church had been birthed. And then what happened was they were being persecuted for their faith to the point where often they were running for their lives. And often they'd have to run to another town. Now the, the gospel would go with them. Often they'd had to be housed by other believers. So in the midst of this great persecution, Peter writes First Peter to encourage them. One of these things he says is these trials you are going through are for but a little while. And so as we go through trials of life, even if they last the rest of this life, it's nothing compared to eternity. Amen? So he's encouraging them. Then we get to 2 Peter, written just a short time after 1 Peter, maybe a year or two later. And so now the ever-growing persecution in that time since 1 Peter, and Nero's persecution has been stoked up. You know, he was the one feeding Christians to lions. He was the was having covered in pitch and set on fire. He was an evil, wicked, vile man who hated Christians. He blamed, he burnt down his own city and then blamed it on Christians to get everyone else mad at believers. So that outward persecution has been joined by another of the enemy's tools upon the church and its inward corruption. So 1 Peter really speaks of outward persecution and 2 Peter is going to deal with inward corruption. See, the enemy... If he can't attack us from the outside, he'll bring false prophets on the inside. So we need to be faithful to keep our eyes on the Lord, to know what the Word of God says, to be able to stand amidst the persecution, but also to be able to recognize the inward corruption that can take place within the church. Outward persecution brought a fear of death, temptation to retreat, to hide, to run away. Again, if you knew that Standing up for the Lord could cost you your life. Some of us might be a little more quiet, and that's a reality. And that was happening in the early church. And inward corruption and false teaching attempted to undermine their faith. Here's what's happening, and we need to pray for our young people. We need to pray for everybody. We need to pray for our young people that go off to college. Because when they go off to college, unless they're going to a Christian college, there's going to be indoctrination going on nonstop. And if you don't believe that, that's okay. But here's the reality. About 70% of kids who claim to be, who profess Christ when they leave for college are denying him by the time they graduate. And that's because the enemy is a liar. Amen? And that's why we praise God for our youth group and praise God for youth pastors that teach the word of God here. Amen? Because the kids need to know what they believe and why they believe it and need to be able to stand up for it. Guys, we don't check our brains at the door. We don't believe in spite of the evidence. That would be superstition. We know what the Word of God says. We know what archaeology teaches us. We know what prophecy has shown us. Prophecy is being fulfilled. 
So we know what history has taught us. The word of God is true. The tomb is empty. We serve a risen living Savior, and we must never be ashamed of that. Amen? And so Peter's exhortation in this portion of Scripture, and what we're going to look at it this morning, is to keep growing. Even as the heat is being turned up from persecution, and even as the enemy attempts to undermine your faith from the inside with teachers, when the t- temptation is to pull back, to go undercover, to walk away, it's the very place that the greatest amount of growth occurs. You know, faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship, but how are we going to respond when we're going through the trials of life? You know, we all know this, growth comes through exercise. If we're to grow spiritually, we must learn to exercise our faith. We just believe it exists be able to walk through it when things get difficult, to be able to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus. The greatest growth often comes through the very trials and persecution we seek to, seek to avoid. We'll pray, Lord, make me more like you, and then a trial comes. Why did you let that happen? I'm answering your prayer, amen? Because it's through the trials of life that we have to make a stand for the things of God, and it's a way that we grow the most. And we, you know, we went to a funeral yesterday. It was fantastic. People say, funeral was fantastic. Well, it's fantastic because Matt, who was a hero at Borderline, was only 24 years old. He was in a motorcycle accident. He went to heaven. And his mom and dad and everybody that spoke, it was all focused on eternity. See, we don't die as Christians. And my son didn't die seven months ago. And Matt didn't die two months ago. They just moved to heaven. Amen? And heaven is better. And they're more alive than we are. Amen? And the exhortation is that in the midst of those difficult trials, where do we put our focus? Do we run from God or do we run to him? It's these trials that test our faith, stretch our faith, put us to the test. And sadly, many Christians today have a faith that like, is like an unused muscle, becomes weak and atrophied. They've been sitting on the sidelines so long, they're never leaving their comfort zone. They avoid anything that might test, try, or stretch them spiritually. And the result is, sadly, we have people that have been saved for 30 years, but they're still infants. You know, if all you ever drank was formula, you'd never get very big. You'd never get very strong. You would never really grow. And there's a lot of people that have been saved a long time, but they're still acting like babies in the faith. They're not, they're not using their gifts. They're not ministering to other people. They're happy they got the get out of hell free card. They put it in their wallet. And they just hope, hey man, just get me through life. Let me focus on the things of the world. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if our treasure is in heaven, and if God is real and he is, and if Jesus is the only way to heaven and he is, the most selfish thing we can do is keep it to ourselves. And we must exercise our faith. While God in his grace and sovereignty provides all we need for a healthy diet, we must take advantage, take an active role in our spiritual growth. Here's the diet that will help you grow. It's right here. We're going to talk about that. You feed on the word of God, you will grow in your faith. He's given us the meat of his word. We must feed on it to grow. He is the source and originator of our faith, but without his grace and apart from his sovereignty, we couldn't have faith. But as we will see in this morning's text, while he has given us the gift of faith, if we are to grow and progress in our walk, we must exercise and add to our faith. Again, people use the word faith. I'll hear somebody on the radio and they'll talk about faith or on Christian television, and they'll talk about faith for 20 minutes and never mention Jesus. Guys, it's not faith in faith, it's faith in Jesus Christ. And your faith is only as good as the one you place your faith in. Amen? So grab your outline, if you've got it. 
We talked last week about, or a couple weeks ago about the pathway to peace, the face in the face of overwhelming, overwhelming opposition. And this morning, I had planned on teaching more verses than this, but again, when I get to 40 pages of notes, we stop. And so uh, I tell the message, growing in faith and spiritual maturity. How many of you besides me need to grow in your faith and spiritual maturity? If your hand's on up, you're prideful and you need to grow in faith and spiritual maturity. <laughs> Amen. So here are the seven characteristics of a maturing faith. First one, virtue. And I love this word, and it's not used much anymore. And what it means of moral excellence, but not just moral excellence, but courage. Courage to not only live a holy and set-apart life, but to stand up for the truth without shame or compromise. Someone who is virtuous will stand for the truth, knowing that there may be opposition, knowing that there may be consequences. You know, it's, I'm going to quote it later, but it's in a one of these corny movies that I love. I, you know, my favorite TV show ever, just so you know, is Little House on the Prairie, and I'm not kidding, okay? I just love stuff where, where it's clean and God is honored, and they talk about the Lord, amen? And there was, I forget what it's called, abiding love or something like that, and I heard this quote, and it just grabbed a hold of me. They would take their workers in, and they would come in and have a Bible study on Sundays, and most of the workers wouldn't want to come, but finally they started coming, and one guy said, if believing what they believe makes them live the way they live, then it's worth looking into. If we, live in, if we live for the Lord and we live in such a way, we should live in such a way that people say, well, if believing what they believe makes them live the way they live, then we should check that out. And Lord, that should be our heart as well. Amen? And that's virtue. Secondly, knowledge. A deeper knowledge of the Lord. To know him better is to love him more. A growing, lover, a growing believer is one who spends time faithfully in God's word. Self-control. The, the words in your own language are in strength. The virtue of one who masters his own desires. When someone's out of control, is that good? You got to do that dude's out of control. That's not good. That's a guy going to jail. That's a guy getting fired from his job. That guy's out of control. As believers, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And where does that come from? It comes from the Lord. One walking in discipline empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, then we'll look at Perseverance. This is not wavering in times of difficulty. It is impossible to persevere if we focus only on our circumstances. If all you look at is the trial in front of you, you will not persevere. If you're all you're at is looking at the waves that are beating against the boat, you'll panic. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can persevere. Amen? Faith that hasn't been tested is faith that cannot be trusted. Then we're going to see godliness, which is intimate fellowship with God. I hope that you have, the, I hope you have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Know him intimately. I hope you that Jesus is your best friend. You don't just know about him, but you know him. Then he talks about brotherly kindness, which is cherishing each other as brethren. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. And then finally, love. The same selfless love that the love showed toward lost sinners. The word love there is agape. It's loving out someone outside of yourself more than you love yourself. It says in the Bible, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's a love that gives. It's a love that serves. It's a love that lays down its life for others. So let's begin there looking at growing in faith and spiritual maturity. Seven characteristics of maturing faith. The first one we're going to look at is virtue. Look at verse one, or verse four, excuse me. Verse five. The wind's throwing me off over there. Okay. He says, but also for this very reason. Now, when he says, but also, or, or therefore, or and, we need to go back and look at 
what he just talked about. So in light of what he said in verses one through four, here's how we respond, okay? And so the things he said so far in the, in the previous verses, his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So his divine power has given us everything we need to live a holy life. The Holy Spirit living inside of us gives us the power to live a life that glorifies and honors the Lord. Everything we need to live a holy and godly life has been given to us by the Lord. He gave us his word. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And we have the ability to live holy lives. It also gives us the ability to, to again, to live godly, to, know, to have knowledge of him, to have intimate fellowship with him. Exceedingly, exceedingly great and precious promises, both earthly and eternal promises that cannot be thwarted by the world, the enemy, or our circumstances. There's nothing sadder to me than somebody living on this planet with no knowledge of God. God created everyone, whether they acknowledge him or not. Amen? Jesus died for everyone, whether they accept it or not. Amen? And the only thing that will matter when you draw your last breath is what kind of relationship do you have with God? Have you been born again? When you stand before him, he won't care how much money you made, how big your house was, how much you could bench press, what kind of car you drove, how much money you had in your 401k, or how many likes you had on TikTok. Amen? God won't care about any of that. It'll all be about what have you done with God's son? Because he's the one who paid the price, and he's the one that is the bridge between sinful man and holy God. And it's only our relationship with him that will matter in the end. And there's nothing sadder than people walking around in this world with no knowledge of God. I will say this, we have to take some blame for that. Amen? If people around you don't know about the Lord, maybe you're the person God put into their lives so they can know about the Lord. Amen? Notice it says there also up there in verse, uh, talks about his divine power. And then it says in verse four, partakers of his divine nature. Almighty God has taken up residence within us. Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Ephesians 1 gives us our presence in Christ. It says we've been blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, and assured. And one of the things it talks about is the Holy Spirit being the down payment on heaven. Here's how we know that 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 we're going to heaven because God's word says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. But also because once we give our life to the Lord, the Holy Spirit takes residence in us and now we're convicted about our sin. Amen. If there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. Amen. Amen. I had a man once tell me, oh yeah, I gave my life to the Lord, but then I just slept around and dealt drugs for the next 15 years and was gangbanging and all this other stuff, but I was a Christian. I said, no, you weren't. <laughs> By your fruit, they shall know you, amen? You were a stick, and I say you're an apple tree. Ain't no apples. You're not an apple tree, amen? And so the reality is, look, I'm not saying that we don't have times where our lives don't bear fruit, but a true believer's life will bear fruit. By your fruit, they shall know you. Guys, he walks with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He empowers us to live a holy and set-apart life, even in the midst of the most overwhelming circumstances. And he's talking to these guys in, 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 again, the first century church, whether it's outward persecution or inward corruption, again, the whole world may seem to be rejecting you, but God has come to dwell in you. Just remember the next time you think you're of no value, how much the Lord loves you. And you know how much he loves you by what he was willing to pay for you to send his son to die on the cross. And it says at the end of verse four, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. This is how we ought to look at the world. You know what it ought to be, feel like for us? We've escaped prison. 
Amen? Did we lose the amens? Did we leave them over there? Okay, I'm just checking. Because we'll move right back out of this tent if we have to. It's a little warm in here. I get it. Thou shalt not be napping on Sunday morning, right? It's in first hesitations or something like that, right? Amen. Before we came to know the Lord, we were bound and we were slaves to sin. Amen. And then we got saved and now we've been set free from sin and death. So as believers, I don't know anybody. I did prison ministry for years. I didn't know anybody who got out of prison who wanted to go back. And we've been set free from the things of this world, and we should view the world as something we never want to go back to. Amen? Amen. We're citizens of heaven. We've left the corrupt world and our ungodly desires for the grace of God and his divine promise for the power of redemption and the promise of heaven. Man, I can't wait to go to heaven. I cannot wait. I'm looking forward to heaven. How about you? And I, and I want us all to go together. Amen? For the knowledge of intimate fellowship with him, the empowering of his Holy Spirit, in light of all he has done for us and his spirit dwelling in us, Peter gives us seven characteristics of spiritual growth. And notice he says there, for this very reason. So in light of the fact that we've escaped corruption, in light of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, in light of the fact that we know who God is, this is how our life should look. These are the things that should be taking place in our life. This is the way that we should be growing in our faith. And notice he says there, giving all diligence, bringing all zeal or effort, literally making every effort to bring alongside, to come alongside the Lord. This is why it's not okay for us to forsake fellowship. The Bible says to forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more when the day approaches. You've all heard the analogy. When you have a, a lump of hot coals and you take a hot coal out and you set it by itself, what happens? It gets cold. And what happens when we forsake fellowship and we're not hanging out with other believers who can encourage us? I'm not trying to grow the church. I want to grow you spiritually. Amen? But what happens is when you set it by itself, it suffers and it gets cold and it loses the fellowship. Now, what happens when you take that coal that's cold and you put it back in the hot coals? What happens to it? It gets hot again. Amen? And that's why we need fellowship. That's why we need to be around other believers. So we need to do this with all diligence. It's a, something we need to be proactive about. Not just sitting on the sidelines and waiting for God to do a work in us, but pursuing the Lord. And while our good works or pursuit of godly character can in a way save us, cannot, can in no way save us, it redeem, or redeem us from our sins, such good works are fruit of salvation. You've heard me say it. So me doing good stuff won't get me into heaven. But if I'm, if I'm a citizen of heaven, I should be doing good stuff. It's just, a, it, tra- it changes my priorities and my passions. I will tell you, and I know I, I repeat, I say it a lot, so just bear with me. But since my son went to heaven seven, seven ago, there's a whole bunch of things that used to be important to me that are not important at all anymore. I just don't care. I care about people. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. I never really cared about money that much. I really don't care at all. I don't care. Why? Because it's not eternal. It's all going to burn. Amen? It's not going to outlast this life. And the Lord, give us a heavenly perspective. And what the enemy wants us to do, be so consumed with that which is temporary, they're having no impact on that which is eternal. I've heard people say that they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I've never met that person. But I meet a lot of people that are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. 
Coming to church for an hour is tough. Oh man, I don't know if I can fit that in. There's a ball game on or it's my day off or whatever. And look, I get it from a physical perspective, but the greatest thing we can do is draw closer to the Lord. He created you. He has a plan for your life. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He knows you best and he loves you most. What a great and awesome God we serve. And we want to get to know him better. Such good works and pursuit of godly character are a reflection of the work of redemption that's been done. By your fruit they shall know you. It says there, add to your faith, add to your faith, add to your faith. The word add to is supply or furnish your faith minister additionally or abundantly. So the faith, everything starts with faith in God. Everything else we're going to talk about is meaningless. So it all starts with the Lord. It all starts with the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And then these are the fruits that should be evident as we grow in our walk with the Lord, as we cease to be baby Christians and we become more spiritually mature. It says in Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So our salvation is nothing we should ever brag about, because none of us died on the cross, and none of us rose from the dead, and none of us created the universe, but we're all, by his grace, recipients of that wonderful gift that he gave to us. So when someone gives you a gift, you can't take credit for it, it's a gift, right? Salvation is not by your works, it's a paycheck, it's not a paycheck, it's a gift, so God gave it to us, but now that he's given us the gift, what are we going to do with it? Going to stick it under our bed and leave it there until the Lord comes back? Going to take our talents and bury them in the backyard? Or are we going to grow in our relationship with the Lord? So he says, to your faith, add. Telling us to add, add something to it. By faith in Jesus Christ. Again, not faith in faith. Add to your faith in Jesus Christ. The risen and living Savior, the one and only true and living God. No other gods before him, beside him, or after him. Amen? It's not faith in Buddha. It's not faith in Muhammad. It's not faith in reincarnation. It's not faith in Hinduism. It's not faith in, in uh, spirit, being spiritual. It's faith in Jesus Christ and only in him. It says in Hebrews, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And then he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is where it must start, but it's not where it should end. Amen? So having faith in Christ is not a finish line, it's a starting block. Okay, I've given my life to the Lord, and now I want to run the race for God, and I want to faithfully serve him, and we're going to see in the end that we can't do it without him. So notice it says, add to your faith virtue. And virtue there speaks of moral excellence. Now, it's the fruit of salvation. It's not the source of it. And this is not a man-made attempt at keeping a list of rules, but it's a supernatural overflow of the Spirit-filled life. Again, when you meet somebody that's really walking with the Lord and has intimate relationship with God, don't you know us like right away? Amen? Pursue those people as friends. I want people that love the Lord and have a passion for God. I love just playing softball with the guys from church. Amen? I just love being around other believers. And I also love going to the world and ministering to people that don't know the Lord, but we need fellowship. And he's talking about this moral excellence uh, to try to live a holy, you know, not, we're not trying to live holy so we can be saved, but we should live holy because we've been saved. Christians aren't sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And so it's a change that comes from the inside out. So I love this word virtuous. And sadly, it's become so rare. And it shouldn't be in the church. Proverbs 31 says this, who can find a virtuous wife? 
for her worth is far above rubies. Virtue is so beautiful, it's so attractive. It's more beautiful in the eyes of God than rubies. So if you find a virtuous wife, you're a rich man, amen? And that's what the Bible's telling us here. And he's saying, look, virtue is something that is way more attractive than outward appearance. It's more attractive than anything the world has to offer. We want to be people of virtue. Virtue speaks not only of moral excellence, but of courage. Courage is not to only live holy and set apart lives, but to stand up for the truth without shame or compromise. Virtue is when somebody is mocking God, or when someone is telling a lie, or someone is attacking somebody unfairly, or somebody's being bullied or mistreated. Virtue is a person who stands up and says, that's not okay. That's not acceptable. Amen? We need virtuous people. But here's the problem. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God have no virtue because virtue is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we're all shocked when we find a politician that has no virtue. Well, duh. <laughs> no Jesus, no virtue. Now, again, I'm not saying they don't try to do good things, but it's different than someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do it. As we grow in faith and progress in our walk, we should be more and more virtuous and more and more courageous. Not living as much like the world as we can and still trying to go to heaven. Hey, you know, how much can I still do of the world and still get in? You know, people ask me, they'll say, well, Pastor Dave, you know, if I, if I, is this really sin if I get, I said, well, first of all, bro, the cliff's right there. Why would you be want to be right next to the cliff? Amen. Well, I know I'm dating my girlfriend, but sometimes we're, dude, do not be alone. The first time you should be alone with her is on your wedding night. Oh, pastor, that's, that's a godly wisdom. Amen. <laughs> and ladies, guys are dogs. So you marry, you make him marry you. Amen. And he better love Jesus more than he loves you. Amen. So don't settle for less than God's highest and then be bummed out when it's, you've settled for less than God's highest. But the point is virtue is something that comes from the Lord. And so we need to be men and women of virtue, but we can because of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Again, not hiding our light under a bushel, but living holy and doing it boldly. And the world should see a drastic difference. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be arrogant. Be kind, be loving, be gracious. Again, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. I remember when I was thinking about this, because how many times our virtues challenged almost daily? Is that not true? I remember one that was a big one. It was, it was years ago, about a decade ago. And most of you guys know I have a full-time job. And part of what we do is we look for, for people that don't advertise with us. And we go out and sell them advertising. And I happened to make a sale that was pretty large. And I did a lot of work. Researched the account, met with the guy, helped him put together a website, put all his advertising together. And my commission, I'll just be trying, my commission on that one sale was pretty big. It was $11,000 on this one sale. And then at the end of it, he goes, oh, by the way, we need to put my other phone number on the website. I said, other phone number? The way the accounts are assigned is by phone number. So I found out another guy in the office had the other phone number, and his phone number was older, which means the right thing for me to do is to give the account to him. Anybody else might struggle with that a little bit? <laughs> and to make it worse, it was the lazy guy in the office who phoned it in, who left work at noon and came back as he was drunk, who had a bad mouth and a bad attitude. And, and I shared it with a couple of coworkers and they're like, oh dude, just keep it. He's not going to call that number. He'll never know. But God will know. 
And I bat- I'm being transparent. I battled it. I'm like, I did all the work. I found the, he would never sold him anyway. They wouldn't even talk to him. He was too drunk to pick up the phone. You know, the mentality. And you just start trying to justify it. I prayed about it overnight. I'm like, that's just not right. My, my testimony is worth more than $11 million, let alone $11,000. So I went over to his desk and dropped the account at his desk. And bro, it's all done. I've turned it all in. It's already been taken care of. You're going to have $11,260 in next commission statement. And everybody in the office thought I was crazy. But you know what else? Everybody else in the office knew that I do what was right, even if it cost me something. And that's not to glorify me, that's to glorify him. Because in my flesh, I would have never, never done that. And he always makes up for anything you lose anyway. Is he going to provide? What's the answer? So God's faithful. But I still, I, I just remember that so vividly. And even when I went over to his desk, he, was, he had his head down sleeping on his desk at 11. I'm like, really, Lord? They wake you up. He belches, smells like alcohol. Okay, bro. There's a whole lot of whiskey. I hope not, right? You know what I mean? But again, as believers, we shouldn't do things, again, based on what the world thinks is right or wrong. We need to do what the word of God commands us to do. And we need to be people of integrity and people of virtue and honor the Lord. I'll tell you what it did. I was had a, this was in San Jose. I had a Bible study at work. And after that happened, several more people started coming to the Bible study. Kind of that, hey, if believing what they believe makes them live like they live, maybe we should check it out. Amen? And if they had found out that I just kept the money for myself, it would have harmed my testimony. And you know what? It doesn't make any difference. We need to live holy and do it boldly. And if we should see a drastic difference in us than the world. And again, I love that quote. It was in the movie, uh, Love's Abiding Joy. And it was, again, they're, in the, they're driving people. They're trying to get guys to come to the Bible study. Most of them wouldn't come. And then after a few months, they just said, if, if believing what they believe makes them live the way they live, we need to go look into it. I hope people would say that about us at work. Amen? And in our neighborhood. Not because we're good, but because he's good. Amen? So virtue. So add to your faith virtue. So virtue, again, is moral excellence. It speaks of not just excellence, but courage. But add to virtue knowledge. Now, virtue, moral excellence, with courage to stand up. We see that in Scripture. People like King David, who was willing to fight Goliath. Where did that virtue come from? It came from the power of the Holy Spirit within him. People like Daniel. People like Stephen. People like Paul. But it's not enough to have that virtue. It's not enough to just be walking in faithful obedience. But we need to know, we need to grow in knowledge. Because even though we stand in virtue, we need to be able to minister to people. We need to know the Lord better. To know him better is to love him more. The word knowledge there is gnosko, and it just means a deeper growing knowledge of him. Do you know the Lord better today than you did a year ago? It's between you and the Lord. I mean, if you don't, it's not him. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? God doesn't move. We move away from him and move toward him. You're as close to God as you want to be. You make that choice. As we grow in our faith, as we walk with the Lord, we should be getting to know him better and better and better. To know him is to love him. So how do we grow in our knowledge of him? Primarily, it's through the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. That's the theme verse for this church. Romans 10, 17. So if you want to have more faith, spend more time in the Word. I've shared this many times. John Corson, one of my favorite Bible teachers, people used to say to him, John, I wish I had faith like you. 
He lost his wife, then he lost his daughter, then he lost his son. And he kept being faithful. People say, I wish I had faith like you. And he said, well, just spend as much time in the Bible as I do, and you will. So faith is something that uh, grows as we spend time with the Lord. A growing believer is one who spends time faithfully in God's word. If you spend consistent time in God's word, if you, let me say this, if you don't spend consistent time in God's word, you will not grow spiritually. Amen? So turn off Netflix and open up your Bible. Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Amen? The Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. If we open the Bible as much as we open the fridge, what kind of spiritual giants would we be? Amen? So there's an exhortation and an encouragement to the growing believer. And spend time in his word, you're going to get to know him better. You know, when you love somebody, you want to get to know them better. I'll get corrected maybe later, but I remember it was my wife and I's first or second date, and we had spent, already spent maybe eight hours together, and then we pulled up in front of her parents' house. I was 20 years old, and we sat out there and talked for hours. Why? Because when you love somebody, you want to know them better. Amen? You know, what's your favorite color? What kind of food do you like? What, tell me about your child. And you know, we just talk, and you can't talk enough, right? And then you're married, and all your words are done, right? <laughs> but, but, the, but the reality is... I don't know where that came from. But the reality is that the more that we love somebody, the more we want to know somebody. And then the more that we know them, the more that we love them. Amen? When you open up the Bible and you read it, let's be transparent. How many of you, it's hard for you just to open up your Bible sometimes? Most of the room. Sometimes, you know, just there's other things. There's distractions. I could do this right? But then you open it up and you read it and God speaks to you and you never regret it. Amen? So I want to encourage us to go beyond that. If you want to have a greater love for the Lord, if you want to have more wisdom and discernment and how to live a holy and set apart life, I found that also to be true that it's very rare that I'm doing extensive counseling with somebody who reads their Bible all the time and stays in the Word and stays in fellowship. Usually that's the first question. How's your time in the Word? Oh, not very good. How's your prayer life? Not very good. You know, are you in fellowship anymore? Not really. You serve in the Lord anymore? Not really. Chuck Smith's uh, assistant pastor, Romaine, used to ask those questions. They said no to all of them. He'd say, go start doing all that and then come back and talk to me. <laughs> Toward the end of the nation of Judah, if you were here for 2 Kings, a young boy named Josiah became king and he, raised, he was raised by Hilkiah, the high priest, and he was taught to love the Lord. And as the boy grew, he began to take interest in the things of the Lord. And one day, Josiah, when he was having some work done in the temple, the people found an amazing thing, God's word. It had been lost. For, and we, if, you, if you were here for 2 Kings, you know that the word of God was lost because the kings were evil after evil. Josiah was an exception. So what does he do when he finds God's word? God's word? He gathers all the people together and he reads it to them. And then after they read it, you know what they did? They tore down all the idols because the word of God says, no other gods before me and no graven image. This is the first two commandments, amen? And they removed all the idols. And as he would go through the word of God, it changed people's behavior. You know what, our, you know what the problem is with the world today and our country today? We need to elevate the word of God and get rid of man's opinion, amen? This should be the foundation. And if it were, everything would change. There were a lot of things wrong in the nation. They had allowed a lot of junk in their lives that didn't belong there. But when they turned on the light of God's word, they were able to see they needed to do some cleaning up. 
Can I say to the men in the room too, you're called to be the spiritual leader in your household. You need to live by example, amen? Notice he says, to knowledge, self-control. So a deeper knowledge of God and then self-control. Now the word self-control here, again, as I have in the notes, is in strength. It's a virtue of one who masters his desires and his passions, holding your passions and desires in your hand. You know, get a grip on yourself. You've heard that term, right? And it speaks largely of, of sexual passion. And a lot of people have no control, out of control, caught up in pornography, caught up in adultery, caught up in fornication. Uh, by the way, yeah, uh, the word of God is very clear. The only person you should be intimate with is the one you're married to and not until you're married to him or married to her. Amen? Amen. And yet when you tell people that people did it, even in the church, people are shocked because that's the world we live in today. Amen? But self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now that self-control is impossible apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. The only way I can have control is if the Holy Spirit is running my life. If the Holy Spirit is on the throne of my life, not me. We all get tempted every day. Can I get an end to that? Okay, we, we get tempted. But the Bible says with temptation, he makes a way of escape. When you're tempted by the enemy, you can either follow the enemy or run to the Lord. Those are your two choices. He's tempting you to keep the $11,000, right? And, and you can even make reasons why. He's lazy. He doesn't work anyway. He'll never find the numbers. This is his own fault. It never would have been sold. We can all make excuses. And I want to tell you, I struggled with it. But the reality is at some point, if we turn to the Lord, well, Lord, what would you have me do? Well, Lord, honoring what the contract says that we have at work and doing what you want me to do. And, and I don't care about the money. I care about you. Amen. Now, I've failed in those areas, too. I don't want to be the hero of all my stories, right? I've failed, too, like, like the rest of us. Amen? I failed. But the exhortation here is self-control. And again, it speaks largely about sexual passion, but other things as well. As we mature in our faith, we begin to live a more disciplined life. Someone who's out of control, someone who walks in carnality, that's not a reflection of a believer. If your life's out of control, at that same office in San Jose, we had a Bible study that, we were, that was growing. They called us the God Squad. God was doing a great work in it. People were getting saved. My Muslim boss ended up getting saved. But there was a guy one day where I was, I was talking to, in the, I was in the art department. We were creating some ads, and this guy came by, and the, the gal said, you know, I'm going to come visit your church in Santa Cruz. I'm going to come visit. I said, great. We'd love to have you there. I'd love to see you. And then the guy said, oh, you know what? I'm a Christian too. And literally all the artists fell out of their chairs, were on the ground, laughing. Now that's not a good response when you tell people you're a Christian. Because this guy was known to have slept with half the office. He was married. He was sleeping around. He was doing cocaine. He was getting drunk. He got suspended from work. He had the phallus mouth in the office. And he says, oh yeah, but I'm a Christian. And people said, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> no, again, our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. Could that person, can anyone get saved? What's the answer? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I don't care if you're if you're the most vile person who ever lived, the Lord will still save you if you will turn to him. Amen? Amen? But that being said, if we've given our life to him, it should be reflected in how we live. Not that we're perfect because we're all far from it, but our belief should be reflected in our behavior. Amen? And you know what else should happen? Is when we do sin or when we do blow it or when we do you know, blow our testimony, we should be quick to repent and also quick to go and ask for forgiveness. 
to go to that coworker you might have done something with and say, man, you know, I'm sorry I treated that. That was not Christ-like. Please forgive me. You know what? I've had to do it with my kids. Go to your children and say, you know what? I yelled it. That wasn't right. That wasn't Christ-like. Will you forgive me? You know, we need to do that. Amen? And so to have self-control, one walking in godly discipline empowered by the Holy Spirit. Solomon said this as a quality that made man great. He says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit that he had taken a city. A man who can control his anger is greater than somebody who is mighty, and he that walks in the spirit and can rule his spirit is greater than the man that has conquered an entire city. Paul says it result of the Holy Spirit again, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and the word temperance there is self-control. To have self-control, we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit. But the part, hard part of self-control is working together between the Holy Spirit and me. I tell you guys this, I, look, I get in the mirror in the morning when I'm getting ready for work, and I say, you've got to die today. Because we've got to die to ourselves, amen? If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Amen? I heard a quote yesterday in the uh, funeral. It was so good. I've written it down. You're going to hear it more. What he said was, it's, it's a quote from Spurgeon. He said, there are no crown, people wearing crowns in heaven that didn't carry a cross on earth. People are not going to be rewarded if they didn't deny themselves on earth. Amen? And I want to say this, denying yourself, you're not giving up anything. You're gaining everything. Amen? I want there to be less of me and more of him. How about you? Jesus said, of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. We enrich our knowledge with self-control. There are times when a person has a lot of knowledge, but their life is a mess. Part of growing in the Lord involves taking that knowledge and putting it into practical use. So add to virtue, knowledge, add to knowledge, self-control, add to self-control, perseverance. That's what it says there. To self-control, perseverance. Now, perseverance, a word there in the original language, hupomone, means to stay under, to be steadfast, to have steadfast endurance through difficulty, an unwavering faith that is even, even in the greatest of trials. Again, no matter what that trial is, you might struggle, you might grieve, you might get angry, but you don't turn away. You don't let the enemy win. You continue to keep your eyes on the Lord. Trusting in God's sovereignty that he has allowed this trial into your life for a reason, to grow you spiritually. You know, I'll be honest with you. Uh, this past week, I went on two sales calls with customers I've had for a long time, and both of them had just had someone die. The first one was a wife. Her husband had died. The second one was a woman whose mom had just died. I knew her husband very well, and I knew his, her, her mom very well. And when I walked into that room, again, do you think the fact that my son went to heaven seven months ago opens up an opportunity to minister to those people? It does. Now, I wish I was not in this ministry. I, don't, I really don't want it. I'd rather have my son back. I'm being transparent, okay? But that being said, no suffering is wasted. And as soon as they said, they tell me, I said, well, I don't know if you heard about my son. I mean, it just, the wall comes down. Opportunity for the gospel. Opportunity to encourage somebody. You know, sympathy is I feel bad for you. Empathy is I know how you feel. Guys, when you go through trials in this life, God is going to use it for his glory if you will let him. And perseverance is 
okay, this happened in my life. I'm not happy about it. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. And again, it's when we're in the storm going across the Sea of Galilee. The Lord says, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. They get out to the middle of the, of the uh, Sea of Galilee, and the waves kick up, and they start to panic. And you know the waves are big when fishermen panic. And they're, they're getting really bummed out, and they start yelling at the Lord, you know, we're all going to die. And what is Jesus doing? What's he doing? He's sleeping in the boat. And see, so here's the thing. If you keep your eyes on the waves, you'll panic. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll be at peace. The waves are big, but God's in control, and he's not worried. The waves of life might be big sometimes, but God's in control, and he's not worried. And he's a faithful God, and he's for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen? And he's a God who loves you, wants what's best for you. An unswerving faith in even the greatest of trials, trusting in God's sovereignty, that he has allowed this trial for a reason. One who perseveres doesn't drop the class. He stays faithful in it and he grows through it. How many of you guys went to college and dropped a class? You went to the first period and like, dude, this guy, this guy's a cure for no-dose. I'm out, <laughs> right? Insomnia, this guy's gonna knock me out. I can't take this guy. But the reality is you still gotta take that class. Amen? Amen. Might be able to find another teacher, but... The same is true for us. When we go through a trial, we're going to either grow through it or often God will let us take that class again. <laughs> Amen. God brought it to grow you because he loves you. You walk away, so I'm out. I'm not taking that class. Okay. Now the class gets even harder. Now it's that same guy, but it's, it's, the, it's the AP version, right? <laughs> More homework more of this guy. And the reality is that's part of what God does in our life. See, he loves us enough to discipline us. He loves us enough to allow us to go through trials because his ultimate desire is that we would grow in our relationship with him. Amen. Why do we discipline our kids? Because we love them. Because we want to help them grow. It's impossible to persevere as we focus on our circumstances. And it's only possible when we keep our eyes on Jesus. And again, endurance comes when we keep our eyes on him. So add to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, godliness. Now the word godliness there speaks of intimate fellowship with God. And the word is literally well plus worship. So reverence, respect, piety towards God. But a person who has godliness not only acts correctly towards God, but he also treats people correctly as well. When the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you know, we've got 600 plus commandments, the greatest of all the commandments. Jesus said to them, to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me just make it a simplistic version of that. Love God and love people. And that's what we're called to do. That's the greatest, that's the greatest commandment. Love God above all else and love people. And I would also challenge this. If you, really, if you truly love God, you will love people. And if you don't love people, I'm concerned about your love for God. Amen? Who loved people more than anyone? Jesus. And he was willing to suffer and die. And he could have come off the cross. He could have smoked the enemy. He could have put a stop to all of it. And he endured it because he loves you. And yet we, you know, like I've told you this, I've had people come to me and want to be involved in ministry. Like, yeah, I love teaching. and I love this. I just don't like people. I'm like, dude, you want to be a shepherd, but you don't like sheep? That's a problem. Amen. And you know what? We should love people because the Lord loves people. Amen? And sometimes God wants to give someone a hug and he wants to use your arms. He wants to, 
encourage somebody. He wants to use your lips. Guys, we want to be tools in the hands of the master. Say, Lord, here I am today. Use me for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, it's not always easy, but I go on two sales calls in a row, and two people are dealing with heavy grief, and I spend a couple hours with each of them just loving on them and praying for them and encouraging them. And, and, and you know what? It's a divine appointment, amen? And we need to pray for those and know that God will use us if we will make ourselves available. For walking in intimate fellowship with God. See, here, here's what I used to tell youth group. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I used to tell youth group kids, look, if I can get you doing this, if I can get you looking up and keeping your eyes on Jesus, it will change everything out here. See, that's the, cro- right? it's the cross, right? When we look up, it'll impact how we love. If, we, if, we're, if we're good uh, horizontally, horizontally, we'll be better vertically, right? If we, if we make sure it's the other way around. But vert. <laughs> I dropped the math class. No. <laughs> but, you know, if, we, if we're vertically, if, our, if we're focused on the Lord, it'll pour out of us on the world. Amen? It will pour out on us. And by the way, there's only one celebrity in Christianity. His name's Jesus Christ. And just because maybe God's using you in a mighty way, get over yourself. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him, and he gets all the glory. Amen? I get frustrated with pastors who have no time to talk to their people. I don't get that. I'm a shepherd. I just don't have time for the sheep right now. Then you're fired. <laughs> Amen. Well, y'all know the story of Zacchaeus. Half of you just started chuckling because you remember the song in Sunday school. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as he passed by that day, he looked in the tree and said, Zeus, you come down from going to your house today. You know what happened to Zacchaeus? The Lord came into his house and everything about him changed. He went from being a, a guy who ripped people off, advantage them all back, what he had ripped them off and more, and following the Lord. You know how things will change in your life? Bring Jesus into your house. And rule and reign in your house. Make him the priority in your house. Have nothing in your house that you'd be ashamed of if Jesus was there. Amen? Bring him into your house. It'll change everything, just like it did in the life of Zacchaeus. You need to, we need to, to nourish our endurance with godliness. I get to thinking that endurance is just sitting in the corner gritting your teeth, but that's not what it is. Endurance is the trials are going on around us, but God is faithful. And the waves are kicking up, but we keep our eyes on Jesus. And we want to finish strong for the kingdom of God. We don't want to allow the enemy's distraction to, to blow us off course. Because God is still faithful. And though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Amen? Now he says here, as we're getting close to finishing up, to godliness, brotherly kindness. The word there, that comes from the, where we get the word Philadelphia. Christians cherishing each other as brethren. I will say this, and I heard it after last week, and I hear it often, and I'm thankful for it, that people will visit and say, this church is very loving. And you know what? That should be the case. Amen? If somebody comes, if you're new here today, and, and, and if you come back next week, you're getting a hug from me because you just gave me permission. Amen? But the reality is that they shall know us by the love we have one for another. And as believers, you've heard me say it, blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. And when we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Amen? I love Sundays. I love Thursdays. I love when we play softball. I love whatever we're doing with other believers because it's so good to be around your family. Amen? And to love on each other. And not only that, we don't just love on each other. We're here to minister to you. If you need help, we want to help you. 
If, you have, you know, if, if you're weeping, we'll weep with you. If you're rejoicing, we'll rejoice with you. If you're struggling financially, we will help you. Why? Because we're a family. Amen? And what makes us a family is we all have the same father, our heavenly father. Brotherly kindness. A lack of brotherly love today as there is a lack of true godliness and spiritual maturity. And I want to say this, even Christians, they'll be fighting with each other over secondary issues on Facebook or Instagram. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Guys, we're, we're family. We're going to be in heaven together forever. Amen? And we should be loving and kind and gracious to one another. It says in Romans 12, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. But again, there's more to Christian growth and brotherly love. We must also have a sacrificial love that our Lord displayed when he went to the cross. Again, that word love in the original language, what do you think it is? It's agape. The word love there is agape, the same selfless love that God shows toward us. It says in 1 Corinthians, the love that the Holy Spirit produces in our hearts as we walk in the Spirit. In Galatians 5, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. John 3, 16, God so Love the world that he gave. So that love gives. It's not, here's, here's, here's where you know you're not where God wants you to be. When you focus more on yourself than anybody else. And we can all do that, amen? I told you, if I'm not careful, my three favorite people are me, myself, and I. Right? We, we, we want to, how's that affect me? And we'll get, well, you know, well, hey, well, this, this new law doesn't affect me. I don't care. But guys, we need to be faithful to look at the lives of others and to love others more than we love ourselves. Love that originates with God and then flows through us. Evidence that agape love has gotten a hold of your life is when you think of your life in terms of how it impacts others for God rather than how you are impacted by them. We need to look at people as an opportunity for ministry. And then he closes with that word love. He says, add to brotherly kindness that agape, that selfless love. One of the things that's really helped me a lot to love others even more is praying for them. And I'll go through the church directory, I'll go through the prayers that people you know, put in prayer requests. And it's amazing, the people that you pray for the most, you think about the most, and it kind of binds your heart to them. Amen? When you see them, I have a lot of you that are praying for different things. Some people need housing, some people need a job, some people have health issues. And as I pray for you, it gives me a greater love for you and a greater burden for you. And you know what? I want to encourage you. If you've got people in your life you don't care much about, start praying for them. Amen? You've got a boss that gets on your nerves? Pray for him. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? We don't want to win battles. We want to win people. The only thing that we're taking to heaven with us is people. So in closing, growing in faith and spiritual maturity. I think another one might be sitting in a hot tent, but I'm not sure. Seven characteristics for maturing faith. First, virtue. Moral excellence. Speaks not only moral excellence, but courage. Standing for what's right. Even if it's going to cost you something. Here's the reality. It's not really standing for what's right unless it's going to cost you something. Amen? Standing for what's right, even if it costs you something. Being someone who's faithful and also somebody who's got courage. The word knowledge, a deeper knowledge of the Lord, to know him better, to love him more. I would encourage you, get one of the Bible plans. How many of them? You can go through the Bible in a year. Spend time in the word of God, to know him better, to love him more. To live a life of self-control. Uh, one, one who masters his own desires. Again, when the temptation comes, you don't run to the enemy. You don't run to your flesh. You run to the Lord. Uh, fourthly, perseverance, not wavering in times of difficulty. Again, it's one thing to be the Christian on the cruise ship, but how do you respond when things are difficult? Godliness is intimate fellowship with God, reverence and respect and piety toward God. By the way, if you have piety toward God, you don't take his name in vain. 
Amen? Amen. When you use his name, you praise him. Brotherly kindness is cherishing each other as brethren. And I'm saying this with all sincerity. I love each and every one of you with the supernatural love that God has given me. And it's my blessing and privilege to, to minister to you. I'm here to serve you and not the other way around. And I count it a privilege to do so. And even if I haven't met you yet, already I have a heart for you and I will do anything I can to minister to you. Why? Because we're a reflection of him. Amen? What would Jesus do? That's not a bad old bracelet. Amen? It's a good idea. And then finally, agape love, the same selfless love that our Lord shows towards sinners. May we show it to one another and even to those we don't like much. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this these guidelines to spiritual maturity. I know studying it all week, I've been convicted. And I pray that we all would re-examine our own lives. That we would not be satisfied with a status quo walk. We wouldn't be satisfied being spiritually immature. But Lord, we desire to walk in the center of your will, the men and women of God you've called us to be. I pray your blessing upon everyone here. I pray that everybody who's here this morning would be ministered to by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the marriages that are here. I pray for those that are struggling financially. I pray for those who have prodigal children. I pray for those that are grieving or hurting. Lord, I pray for those that, again, may, may be out of work. Whatever trial they're going through, Lord, I pray you would comfort them. You're the God of all comfort. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.